Hello and welcome back to Catching Up on Capitol Hill, a series in which we discuss the latest in tax legislation and in tax policy. I'm your host, John Gimigliano. Well, we have returned from our brief Thanksgiving hiatus and we are back for the congressional lame duck session, where suddenly expectations are riding high that Congress might work out a year-end deal. Yes, we always knew that they'd have to pass a government funding bill by December 11th. But there was broad pessimism that Congress could work out another round of COVID relief. And yes, I know we've been here before over the last six months, and we've tried very hard not to be Charlie Brown and the football by actually buying into the line that something might happen. But they honestly do seem closer than they've been. Look, it could all fall apart tomorrow. And so as we wait for something to happen or not happen, let's just said, for now anyway, turn our gaze to 2021 once again, and let's look at the Senate. Now, everybody seems to be saying that it's all about January 5th. That's the date of those two crucial runoffs for the two Georgia Senate seats. And that take is mostly correct for the reasons we've talked about previously. But the reality is that the operation of the Senate next year is a little bit more complicated than that. Yes, January 5th, it's important, but there are other important dates worth calling out as well. January 3rd, January 6th, January 20th. And January 21st. To help me decipher the relevance of all these dates, I'm joined by Catching Up on Capitol Hill regulars, Jennifer Gray and Carol Coolish. So, Jennifer, first question for you because, hey, you're one of our Senate experts. Am I correct that on January 3rd, Congress is scheduled to reconvene and new members will be sworn in? And if that's true, in the Senate, who is going to do all the swearing? Well, generally, the vice president of the United States in his capacity as president of the Senate does the swearing in. So that would be Mike Pence, regardless of what happens in Georgia, since he would be vice president until January 20th. You know, there are a lot of other questions, though. You know, new senators are usually in Washington thinking about committee assignments and offices and that sort of thing. So, you know, I suspect some of that is not happening as smoothly as it might in a normal year, just because no one knows who's going to be in the majority and who's going to be in the minority. So it's going to be kind of awkward, right? Because you're going to have all these senators convening. It's January 3rd, and it's two days before the Georgia election, and they won't know who is going to be, for example, majority leader of the Senate, whether it's going to be McConnell or Schumer, but when the Georgia races finally settle. So, but I guess what you're saying, Jennifer, if I understand, is it doesn't really matter that much for the purposes purely of the swearing in ceremony, and we're going to talk about some of the other consequences in a moment, but because Vice President Pence will be the one swearing in, that that part at least will kind of go smoothly, right? That is the hope. Now, Carol, let me turn to you and ask you a hypothetical question, but help us understand this. Assume for a moment we wake up on the morning of January 6th, and we've learned that the Democrats won both of those open Georgia seats. So does that mean then that on January 6th, Democrats are then in control of the Senate? Well, John, I think you're an optimist if you think we might know the results of both of those seats by the, the 6th. But if we do, and if Democrats win both seats, the Senate would be split 50-50 between Republicans and Democrats. And under that scenario, the party of the vice president would control the Senate because under the U.S. Constitution, the vice president serves as president of the Senate and may vote in the Senate in the case of a tie. So if you have that 50-50 scenario, Republicans would continue to control the Senate until Kamala Harris is sworn in as vice president on January 20th, and Democrats would take control after that. So even if Democrats win both Georgia seats, they would not control the Senate until the 20th because Mike Pence would continue to be president of the Senate up until the 20th. 
it's a really interesting observation, and thank you for that, Carol, because I think everybody's assuming, okay, well, Democrats win those two seats. Boom. They're running the show. And we have to remember, in that 50-50 divided scenario, that's not true, that control of the Senate still remains with Republicans until Inauguration Day in that scenario. So, Jennifer, let me come back to you then. Control of the Senate. We've talked a lot about that. What does that actually mean? You know, what are all the consequences of one party or the other controlling the Senate? Well, first, to go back a bit to your last question, folks are thinking what could happen in that little time frame, perhaps, where Pence would still be the vice president and if you have a 50-50 Senate. But, you know, one thing that could happen, perhaps, are a few more of uh, nominations by President Trump get put through quickly in those last couple of weeks. So just a thought there. But what does being in control of the Senate means? You One, you control the floor. The majority leader largely determines what gets a vote on the floor, what nominations get a vote, what legislation gets a vote. I think that's probably the most important thing. But there are a lot of other things folks don't think about. How many senators are on each committee, how many slots there are on each committee is determined by who's in the majority and who's in the minority. Which offices the staff gets is actually determined by that. A majority staff has designated offices for a committee. A minority staff has designated offices for a committee. And they actually usually get up and move their boxes from one to the other when there is a control in who controls the Senate. So that's something as well. The amount of budget changes, which can reflect in the amount of staff that each committee actually can employ. So just a lot of things folks probably don't think about, but from a practical perspective does make a difference in the Senate. Those are important things. So who's the committee chairman, right? Who's the majority leader? But you're right. These little things people don't think of. Having been in both the majority and in the minority, I have to tell you, there's a big difference between your offices when you're in the majority and the minority. And it's never fun to have to pack your boxes and go across the hall to those minority offices. And that could be a, you know, we will see moving boxes all over Capitol Hill if we do have a change in leadership. So that's something that you're right, that people don't think about. And by the way, I also really like your point on Republicans technically will be in control up until January 20th, because it could matter for the reasons you said. Nominations, really, I would imagine there'd be a big push to do what they could in those last couple of weeks. Yeah, you could see some uh, circuit court or, or district court federal judges confirmed, perhaps. Yep. That, yep. that would have lifetime appointments during that, yep. those, that week and a half or so. Yep, and it's been done before. So, okay, now, Carol, that takes us up through, I guess, are we through January 20th? I kind of lost track where we are. But, okay, let's look past Inauguration Day for a minute. No matter what happens in those Georgia seats, Republicans win, Democrats win, we're going to have a very narrowly divided Senate, maybe really the difference being one seat one way or the other. Is there anything that could happen between, let's say, January 21st, 2021, you know, that day after the inauguration, and those 2022 midterms when we're going to have a bunch of Senate seats up all over again, anything that could happen in that interim period that could change control of the Senate? Absolutely. And we've seen this happen in the past where all it takes is if you've got close margins like that, if you've got the 50-50 type scenario, Let's say one senator leaves in one of the parties. They leave to take another position. They leave because of health issues. They leave for whatever reason. Their seat is vacated. In most of the states, the governor can appoint somebody to serve temporarily until either the next general election or until there's a special election. And there are states where the governor is of a different party than at least one of the senators. So you could have a situation where, for example, 
let's say a Democratic senator from one of the states with a Republican governor leaves to take a job in the administration, I don't think they'll let this happen. That would allow the Republican governor to make a temporary appointment of somebody else for the Senate, which could be a Republican, and vice versa. If something happened where a Republican senator left in a state where there are Democratic governors, you could see the Democratic governor make an appointment of somebody who's a Democrat. Again, different states have different rules, but just from my looking at it, there are maybe around seven Democrats who's leaving could trigger a potential Republican pickup, and eight Republicans who's leaving could trigger a potential Democratic pickup. Those are just my rough numbers from looking at who the governors are and who the senators are in the different states and which states allow the governor to appoint somebody temporarily. But absolutely, and when margins are tight like that, something like that can happen. And, wow. and let's not forget the the more unusual situation, but it just happened a few years ago where you actually had a senator switch parties when you had a 50-50 Senate and throw control to the other party. And Jim Jeffords did that back in 2001. You know, I was a Senate staffer at the time. And you talk about a seismic shift from one senator making a decision. So I don't think that will happen given who's in the Senate, but, you know, always theoretically possible. So, okay, let's just put a little finer point on it. I'm sure there's an infinite number of possibilities here. But the things we're talking about are a senator could get an appointment, say a cabinet position or something like that, in the administration. And for the reasons you talked about, Carol, somebody's probably thinking more than one move ahead and saying maybe we don't want to do that and give up control of the Senate, especially if it's one of those states where you'd have a Republican governor. So that's one way. Another way is you would have... A senator change parties, and it happens, right? They could, a Republican could become a Democrat. A Democrat could become a Republican. That would do it. And then other possibilities are resignations. It may shock all of you to hear that from time to time there are scandals in Washington that force senators to resign. And if it happens in one of those states, that could do it. And then sadly, but we have to acknowledge this possibility, is you could have a death. And it happens. It happens all the time because a lot of these senators are elderly. And so that, too, could be one of those things. That's a lot of things that could happen. It could potentially change it. So if I understand what we're saying is if one of those things happened and it was in one of those states where you had a governor from the other party, you would have a change in control. You would have a new majority leader, new chairman, right? You'd have staff shuffling back and forth between offices with new boxes. Is that right, Jennifer? Is that what happened when Jeffords changed parties back then? Is overnight you had change in control of the committees and majority leader and offices and all that sort of thing? It certainly was. Yeah, you know, I was working with the tax committee at the time, and one day Chuck Grassley, Republican from Iowa, was chairman, and the next day he was not. Wow, that's almost 2020 level craziness, although it would be happening in 2021 or 2022. But of course, look, all those things that we just talked about have to align. It can't just be we have a senator leave. It has to be in one of these states where the governor is from the other party as well. Yeah, that generally is right, John. But keep in mind, there are a handful, and it really is just a handful of states where governors do not get to make an interim appointment pending a special election. And there also are a few states where even though a governor can make an appointment to fill a vacancy, that the person who's appointed has to be of the same party as the senator who's vacating the seat. But those are exceptions to the general rule. For the vast majority of states, the governor does have the ability to appoint somebody to fill a seat until either there's a general or special election, depending upon state law. 
Well, that would be high drama in Washington and in the upper chamber if that happened. So just one more thing for us to potentially anticipate in the years that come. Well, Jennifer and Carol, thank you for all that information for reminding us of something we already knew. The Senate is a very complicated place. Well, that's all for this week. Thanks again for tuning in to Catching Up on Capitol Hill. Take care, and I hope to see you soon.